You're listening to the Co-op Book Podcast. I'd like to welcome Anna Sidor to the Co-op Chat. Hello, Anna. Hello, Rob. I'm thrilled to be on your chat. Now, Anna... um, this is not your first book, um, but it's your first one sort of that goes through a bit about your family history uh, through through sort of some form of fiction, non-fiction all welded together about your family. Is that correct? That is correct, yes. I've, I've written – this is my 55th book, but all the others – I've always been fascinated by history, but my own family wasn't something that I really paid much attention to. And this is the first time I've actually gone back to my own roots. And for, for those who don't know, we're talking about Anna's book, The Family with Two Front Doors, uh, just, just released now. And obviously, Anna, a lot of your background was in illustration, but this is, this is you know, a novel. And what, What's the background to the story? It started when I, um, my husband persuaded me to interview my nana 25 years ago and ask her about her childhood when she was nearing the end of her life. And I was busy writing my own other books about Australian history and I wasn't really interested and she'd never talked about her childhood before. Um, but I, um, I eventually caved into my husband nagging and nagging me and I asked her about her childhood in Lublin in Poland in the 1920s and suddenly this amazing world opened up that I'd never known about that she'd never spoken about with her father who was a rabbi and nine children in the family and her older sister getting married at the age of 15 and her mischievous little brother and and it was just I started seeing all these scenes in my head but unfortunately it took me 20 years before I actually got sat down to write the story but it was it was simmering away there for about 20 years now the 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 world represented in in your book uh in a way it you know it's its own microcosm and it's kind of gone now because it was pre pre pre-holocaust pre-world war ii what was life like in poland for jewish family in the 1920s well, that was what I found so such a um, startling revelation because, as you say, it was before the Second World War and I'd always been brought up with this um, a, a history that you couldn't mention, um, you know, the Second World War era and that was why we'd never talked about the past of mine and I'd never spoken about the past before and um, I'd only had this sort of a gloomy impression of, of life in Poland and then suddenly there was this revelation of a period that was mostly full of happiness and joyfulness and traditions and customs like because they were a traditional religious family uh they you know they had this life full of festivals and and happy times together and so what were what were some of the features of you know poland in the 1920s especially for people that don't know a lot about sort of uh the lifestyle of a religious jewish family like where did they get their food uh, they f- went to market all the time. They went to market to do the shopping. But one of the one of the big um, things that my nana mentioned and that I've found out since in other people's uh, memoirs was Thursday was beggars' day, uh, which I thought was a beautiful thing. And every apparently every Jewish home opened their doors on beggars' day, and all the beggars would come in on Thursday afternoon, and the um, the home would have ready for them a pile of money and a pile of food and all the beggars would know that they'd come in it was all you know like like a, a social security kind of thing but they, they would come in every thursday afternoon and get their coin 
and their bite to eat and they would go around all the houses in the Jewish area and that would be um, what, what happened. So I thought that was a, an amazing aspect of life. And the, the, it was very much a charity-oriented lifestyle where every time anything good happened, any time they were having any sort of a celebration, every time it was the beginning of the Sabbath or whatever, they'd drop a coin in their, um, their little coin box, charity box. So it was a, a very much a, an awareness of the the community and looking after each other. What was the lifestyle like for a, a rabbi leading a family and leading a community in the 1920s? Well, uh, look, it depended on the individual family. I made mine a very much family-oriented rabbi. Um, in fact, in real life, he was such an important rabbi. He was even a rebbe, um, which is a more important um, type of person. So he probably didn't have as much to do with his family in real life as I've made it in the story. But because I've fictionalised it a little bit and I wanted to um, do the, the, the more family-oriented type of rabbi, <laughs> um, I, that's the way I've made it. But um, often a rabbi would have so many obligations outside his family that um, he might not have spent as much time with them as he might have liked. But it, what he did was things like on... A Friday night um, when they had their synagogue service or, or in the little shtibel there that the rabbi ran, he would, at the end of the service, he would invite any strangers that were in the, visiting the, the shtibel or the little, little prayer house to come home for dinner. So the family would be involved in his life. And uh, they, you know, he would he would turn up as my nana told me. And every Friday night, he'd turn up with whoever was visiting, and they'd they'd be included around the table. But the men and the women were kept a little bit separate, especially if they had guests in the house like that. So on the Friday night, the the mother and the daughters would eat in the kitchen, and the father would. Um, have the sons and these strangers sitting with him around the main dining room table. Now, what, what, one of the things that comes through in the book is how authentic it feels. So how did you do your research for it? Well, luckily, my nana had a fantastic memory and I, because I was already an author when I interviewed her and when she started talking, I dug out fantastic details from her. So things like the way the salon looked with the, the green carpet on the floor and the green wallpaper and the shiny black ebony table and the, the crystal chandeliers hanging off the ceiling. And so she gave me lots of information. But then there were missing pieces that when I came around to writing the book 20 years later and Nana was no longer around, um, I discovered there were some crucial bits of the story that were missing. And I um, had to find out things like, for example, where the family lived, although I knew they lived in Lublin in Poland, I didn't know the exact street address. I'd forgotten to ask her that. So that was something that I had to try and hunt up because I wanted to give the, the family a real place um, and the, re the reason it's called the family with two front doors, by the way, is because there were so many of them, they couldn't fit into one apartment in the apartment block where they lived, so they had to rent two apartments to fit them all in. And so they had two front doors. Um, and I had to um, research to find the actual apartment block. And what happened, we were going to go to um, Lublin in Poland, or hoping to go to Lublin in Poland to do some of the research, so I made up an address for them of the one street that still existed in Lublin because during the Second World War, most of the Jewish area was 
totally demolished. All the houses, all the all the streets, and everything were wiped out. Um, but there was one street left, Lubatovska Street. So I made up an address for them in Lubatovska Street, at 21 Lubatovska Street, just because I thought, well, when I go to Lublin, I can go to the apartment block that I've made up and see what it looks like. And then it turned out when I did some extra research and eventually found out that the family did really live in Lubatovska Street at number 30, which was only a few doors away from the address I'd made up for them. So that was amazing. And I went there and saw the, the real building. So it was still there. Uh, and that must have been a really fascinating experience. Oh, it was it was it was amazing. We we, were, we got to go inside the the gates and through a little corridor into the the um, central courtyard, and I could stand there. And there was the balcony still, where my nana described how she'd go out on the little balcony, overlooking the courtyard, and watch for the the stars at the end of of the Sabbath to to see when on Saturday night when the first stars appeared that that the end of the Shabbos was over. Yeah, so it was just yeah, it was amazing standing there and thinking that's where all the all the all this story that I've been researching and writing about for four years. This is where it happened. Walk down the street and the market's still there, and yeah, it's just just an amazing experience. Now, now tell tell me, you've been you've written as you said uh, over fifty books. What, what's are you a planner? Are you what's your methodology? Very much a planner. When I was um, back at university days, I studied maths. So I'm a very, very logical thinker. I was a maths teacher originally. And um, and I'm still – I have a very, very logical process. I like to have a framework around – so I love doing re- historical research. And then I've got these boundaries of this is what really happened. And then I work around that and I plan to the minutest detail what's going to happen in the story. You know, this one I had every chapter planned out exactly, going through um, a, you know, chronological time, working out the exact days and dates and, and you know, who would be doing what. It was, yeah, yeah <laughs> very systematic. It does, I don't think it shows in the final book, but that's, that's the, the skeleton behind it. And, and, and talking about university, um, you know, what, what was life like for you at university? It's a different era now, but what was it like when you were at well, I was there in the 70s. I went to Melbourne Uni in the 70s. Um, so it was pretty um, – lots of political things going on, which I wasn't very involved in. I was actually very young. I went through school very young, and I was um, young starting. So I was only just turned 17 the year I started university. So I uh, you know, didn't go to the pub or do, do any of the normal things that a lot of the university people people did um but i yeah i just love the the social atmosphere there and you know, being able to sit around and chat and meet meet new people in the cafe and things like that as well as of course going to lectures sometimes yeah absolutely now um who, who do you think from a writing perspective have, have been your biggest influences um i Again, probably I'm a bit old-fashioned. I, there are certain authors that I loved as a child, like Noel Stretfield and Rumor Godden, uh, who re- I think influenced me in my bit in my writing style. Um, the, the Laura Ingalls Wilder with her Little House on the Prairie books, which were a big influence with The Family with Two Front Doors, uh, Little Women, that, you know, those, those sorts of books I always loved, and, and they're in the back of my mind as I'm writing, I think. Okay, and uh, are you working on any other books at the moment, or what, what, what's, what's happening now? Um, at the moment, I'm having a fantastic time getting lots of interest in the family with two front doors, and lots of um, you know going out and visiting schools and, and meeting people and talking about it. But I have in the back of my mind all the time I was writing, I was planning on 
more books about the same family because I only used a fraction of the information so far that my nana told me. And the, the main thing that happens in the first book is the older sister getting married at the age of 15 in, a, in an arranged marriage. Um, but then there's all the festivals and things that nana told me about that I, and all sorts of other incidents that I haven't had a chance to write about yet. So I'm hoping that will, that, that, that will be in the next book. I, uh, look, I think one of the things that comes through is how how different life was, you know, just under a hundred years ago compared to now. So, someone getting married at fifteen, you wouldn't recommend in the twenty first century. However, uh, no. it, was, it was a norm in those days. Yes, and and um, look, there are people living now who it still um, happened to. My my um, my son married recently, and his wife's grandmother told me that she got married at the age of 15 in an arranged marriage. Uh, so, yeah, there's still people around now that it did happen to or might happen in some cultures still. Uh, but, it, yeah, it wasn't – it was often the more very strict religious Orthodox families um, who might have done arranged marriages then because they wanted to make sure that their children married the right kind of people um, – but I don't think they were ever forced into it. They, I think they did still have a choice. They could, they could say no. Anna Sidor, thank you so much for uh, being part of the co-op chat. For anyone that hasn't had a chance, uh, the Family with Two Front Doors available online at the co-op bookstore and obviously uh, in-store Australia-wide. So, Anna, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Rob, for a great chance to chat with you. <laughs>